0: The ancient world was filled with things that would surprise us. For example, people didn't have access to mirrors, and frequently they would go days and weeks and even months with never ever catching a glimpse of what they looked like. So people would live wholly unaware of how they looked and peered to the world, which is in fact a far cry from our time. If humans back then went weeks or months without ever seeing themselves today, you'd be hard-pressed to go an hour without catching a glimpse at how you look. Which, of all the changes that may have taken place in the story of humanity, that might, in fact, be one change which hasn't worked out so well in our favor. And because of this, the Greeks would famously tell the story of a man called Narcissus, who, after passing by a still pool of water, catches his reflection and becomes captivated by his beauty. He pulls himself ever closer to the water because he wants to see himself ever so closer until the point where he falls into the pool of water and he drowns. This story is the origin of the term narcissist, which warns us of the mortal dangers of self-involvement. And humans have long lived with the warning to not look at ourselves, but look out to others, to cast our attentions to other people and their needs outside of ourselves. And it is a noble warning. And you ignore it at your peril. But this morning, I'm gonna ask you to stare into the mirror. And for good reason. These past weeks have given ample opportunity for people to tell us what they think when they look at us as people and as a society. And what we have heard back horribly echoes what Joseph Goebbels insisted. The Jews are guilty, in other words, guilt first. We are now witnessing on a daily and even hourly basis, on a scale only a few of us thought possible just a few years ago, the same kind of moral and logical inversions The same denying to Jews the feelings and rights granted to everyone else. The same preparing of the public mind for another open season on Jews. You see it everywhere, which is right in front of our noses. Israel is told it has a right to self-defense. But every conceivable means of self-defense amounts to a crime. We are told that from the river to the sea is a call for the creation of a Palestinian state. Without any mention, that it is a call for the destruction of the Jewish state and the world's largest Jewish population. We are told that we must hold Israel to a higher moral standard because it it is a democracy. And at the same time, they denounce Israel as an apartheid state. And then the greatest lie of them all, that Israel, the victim of one of the greatest massacres in recent memory, is in fact the real perpetrator of it that the Jews got what was coming to them. Perhaps we are beginning to grasp what so many outside of us accept as a reality, that Israel is guilty, because Israel, like the Jew of Goebbels' argument, is categorically, primordially guilty. And be warned that the only remedy for guilt from birth is death. Anti-Zionism, which is an openly... Eliminationist ideology that is indistinguishable from anti-Semitism, except that it hides itself better, is now a mainstream view. Freely announcing to the world that it will be a better, safer, much more just place when the Jews are gone. And on the news, every hour on the hour, there is fresh cause for concern. Polish students give a Hitler salute outside the gates of Auschwitz. A Swedish mayor blames anti-Semitism in his city on the Jews. A synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is attacked during the Shabbat service. Jewish businesses are defaced. Synagogues and cemeteries are defaced. And the media tells us that this is because of Israeli policies against the Palestinians. Marches through this city and in this country with people calling for death to the Jews. Now these calls are made in Arabic, but you mark my words. The time will be soon when people will speak them easily in English. But this morning I am calling you to think it differently, of the ways that Jews have seen themselves, have not accepted the way that people see them, despite being accused over generations of perfidy and genetic pollution and criminology. By and large, the story that we have told ourselves is the extraordinary way that we have achieved and contributed to a world despite its hatred and loathing of us. Where between the middle of the 19th and the 20th centuries, how a handful of Jewish men and women changed the way we see and live in the world. Some of the names you know immediately, Marx and Freud and Proust and Einstein and Kafka. But many of the others have vanished from our collective memory but their importance endures in our daily lives. Without Karl Landstetter, there would be no blood transfusions and no such thing as surgery. Without Paul Ehrlich, there would be no chemotherapy. Without Siegfried Marcus, there would be no cars. Without Rosalind Franklin, there would be no model of the DNA. Without Fritz Haber, there would be not enough food to sustain life on this earth. Without Albert Ballin, there would be no airports. Without Jean-Vierre Hallevi. there would be no Grand Opera. Without Emmanuel Deutsch, there would be no State of Israel. And there are many more. As a child growing up, I heard of how a people, despite being less than a quarter of one percent of the world's population, accounted for more than 25 percent of all the Nobel Prizes ever awarded from its inception. How a people so small have given so much. And this is not an argument for Jewish exceptionalism. To be clear, this is not to say that Jews are preternaturally gifted at math or science or music or business. But it is as the composer Gustav Mahler once said: Jews, he said, are like people with short arms. They have to swim harder to reach the shore. There is another image in the mirror that you need to look at, an image that was distant for thousands of years, but one that has come back to life. For centuries, Jews have been known as a people of the book, as a people of ideas and brilliance, of insight and breakthroughs. But it is right to say that long before the Jews were known as the people of Einstein, Salk, Oppenheimer, or Max Planck, We were better known as a people of interminable persistence, of dogged stubbornness, and people of bravery and strength. This week, we celebrate Hanukkah, and perhaps few times in recent memory will its message be needed and heard as it will be this year. For if the Jewish holiday of Purim is the story of a people using its cunning and its smarts to save itself against near impossible odds, then Hanukkah is the story of its opposite. On Hanukkah, there is no palace manipulation or courtly intrigue. Hanukkah is the commemoration of a people who brought the mighty Seleucid Empire down to its knees. After the death of Alexander the Great, the largest part of his empire to survive was the Seleucid Empire, which is now, today, modern-day Syria. In they came, the Seleucids did, with tens of thousands of soldiers to put down a problem with the Jews. A 15 minute drive outside of Tel Aviv will show you the spot of their downfall. In this place, just before on the road, before it begins to pitch up to make its way to Jerusalem. It was there that the Seleucid army was encamped and it was there that Judah Maccabee and but a few thousand Jews laid waste to them. And not long after, that mighty Seleucid army would limp its way back home, never to return, leaving the Jews then to recapture the temple and celebrate its rededication, which is our Hanukkah. This is the same people who hundreds of years later would launch not one, but three rebellions against the Roman Empire, requiring them to dispatch not battalions, but legions to put them down. And when the Jews did not win this war, they never defeated themselves either. They fought with bravery and resilience and purpose. And centuries would pass, many in fact, between that time and now. And over those years, we formed more into a people of the book than of the sword, because we had no choice. But Jewish bravery has come back to us. The paratroopers at Ammunition Hill in the Six-Day War, the small squadron, tanks, Khatifat Sheva, during the Yom Kippur War on the Syrian border. Small units of Israelis landing in a foreign airport to free over a hundred Jewish hostages being held in Entebbe. And now, stories from October the 7th that seem impossible when you read them, but so true to what we are. On hearing the news, people jumping into their cars and heading down south, to repel a vicious and cruel enemy. A grandfather, receiving a phone call from his son, who along with his wife and two children, were in a safe room in their kibbutz in Nahal Oz during the attacks. The grandfather, the Zaidi, was a former Special Forces soldier. He grabbed a gun and a friend, got into his Hyundai, and went south and told his son, I'm coming for you. when they got close, they see people walking barefoot on the road. These are survivors from the musical festival nearby where the Hamas came early in the morning and massacred more than 350 of them. People who came to a music festival. They put the survivors into their car and took them further away from the border. They then turned back to the border area to make their way to the kibbutz and they're seeing people who need help. So they take them back in their car and take them to medical care. And then they turn around again and continue driving towards the kibbutz. But along the way, they see a military force being ambushed by Hamas fighters. They get out of the car, and with only a pistol, he joins the soldiers who are fighting. And he helps kill them off. At this point, they're about five minutes from the entrance to the kibbutz, where his son and grandchildren are but two of the soldiers that he fought with are now wounded. Again, he turns the car around and brings them to medical care. Ten hours later, he arrives and bangs on the door and he hears his grandchildren crying, Sabah Higiyah. has come to save us. I could go on with other stories, but what I want to say is that it is alive and well in us. Years ago, I remember being at Beit HaTzfutzot, the old Israel Diaspora Museum at Tel Aviv University. There they had a display of illustrated Haggadot, Passover Haggadahs, of through the centuries. And I noticed that in the 17th and 18th and 19th centuries, how the illustrated image of the wicked son was often the image of a soldier which is not surprising. After all, the Jews who lived in those years were filled with dread and fear of people in uniform because they represented what was evil and dangerous to them. But starting in the 20th century, we no longer see such images. And that is because with the founding of the State of Israel and the creation of a Jewish army, we have again been reminded that the good need not be weak And that to be strong is not unjust. And that to be brave is divine. Theodor Herzl, the founder of modern Zionism, was just a man. But in one moment, he did speak like a prophet. At the end of his first book, Der Judenstaat, The Jewish State, he concluded it with these words. Therefore, I believe, he said, that a wondrous generation of Jews will spring into existence. The Maccabees shall yet rise again. They did. They have. They will. Shabbat Shalom and Chanukah Sameach.